morning, Heart Church. We are so incredibly glad that you came to join us online. Uh, if this is your very first time joining in, maybe you just stumbled across this on Facebook. My name is Shane, and I'm the lead pastor here at Heart Church. Uh, and we couldn't be more excited um, about what God's going to be doing this morning. And I just want to um, echo what we always say, and that is, if you are viewing online, go ahead and uh, use the comment section. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to hear about it and uh, foster a sense of community there online. And uh, as a church, we believe the church is alive and well today and needed more than ever. Uh, these, are, these are interesting times. These are heavy times. And yet... Jesus is alive and well. He is working. He is doing something. And I just want to pray for you as we begin uh, our worship and going into God's presence. And so um, I'm just going to invite you to um, go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads from wherever you're watching or viewing. And we just want to say, Father God, we're, we're here. We are in need of you. We are positioning ourselves with great expectation for what you have in store for us. I'm reminded that one day in your presence, in your courts, in your house is, is better than a thousand anywhere else. And that's because what you can do in a moment, we couldn't do in a lifetime. And there's so many circumstances and so many things that are going on that are out of our control. And so, Father, we come to the throne. We come to a gracious God. And you said we can come boldly ensured of your glad welcome. And so we need you. Father, I pray the joy of the Lord would be our strength today. I pray that our eyes would be open to a new reality. I pray that our perspective would be elevated to that, the one of the kingdom, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we give you praise for that. Open up the floodgates of heaven today. May we experience you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you as we worship. Come on, let's celebrate. Holy look to the sun. Set our eyes on the Savior. See the image of love. Sing His praises forever Oh, we look to the sun yeah. Salvation Tearing through the dead of night See the kingdom burst into color at the speed of light. Freedom shaking up the atmosphere as the shadows fade into nothing as the day appears. Sing beyond, beyond the skies above, love reaching out. Of love, 
Waking up to kingdom come See the hope of heaven Shining like the rising sun Now forever Lifted up from death to life There's no fear in love And no darkness in his endless life Sing beyond the skies, beyond the skies above, yeah. love reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our Reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our God, beyond, beyond the skies above. Love reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our God. Let's lift it up, beyond. Beyond the skies above, love reaching out for her eyes, the everlasting one, Jesus our God. Sing it again one more time. Beyond the sky above, love reaching out for her
darkness tries to roll over my bones Sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken my feet doesn't stand chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love.
all of a sudden I am unaware these afflictions eclipse by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and say oh how he loves us eyes of grace is an ocean we're all sinking and so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest and I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about So we are his portion, and he is our prize. We're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking.
every voice. Yes, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. One more time, just the voices. He loves. Yes, he loves us. Oh, how 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 he loves us. He loves us. So good. So good. All God loves us. Let's all pray before we start our worship together. Um, Father God, it is such an amazing opportunity to sit and stop and put our affections and our intentions and our praise and our love into the air to you, God, in the midst of these praise. And we're going through troubling times, Father God, and you, you are with us. We have global pandemics, Lord, and national crisis, and God, we just know that our identity is not found in our flesh and blood. Our identity is not found in the things of this world. Our identity is found in you and you alone, and we will stand firm truth God we love you we praise you it's in your name that we pray amen amen please watch this video before we start the, the worship I say to you today that even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow I still have a dream yes todavía tengo un sueño I have a dream. I have a dream that one day, not just our nation, but the world will rise up and live out to the creed that all men are created equal. I have a dream. I have a dream that all my children, the generations to follow, will not be judged by the color of the skin, but by the content of the character. C'est tout ton dream, c'est tout ton on, on, exactement ton rêve. Joyeux Kumismida. I have dream. If we would keep the faith, with this faith, we'll be able to transform our world into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we'll be able to work together, struggle together, pray together, and stand together, knowing that's how God intended. than one man's dream. This is their dream. This is my dream. This is our dream. We are the dream. The dream that one day we will experience the fullness of Christ and there will be no divisions among us. That one day we will be unified in thought, purpose, and love for neighbors. Man, what a, uh, what a powerful video. Um, as has already been said, um, obviously there's an excitement in the air because, um, because we're able to join 
together across the nation um, as a church. And there's many churches that are able to slightly open up, which is the case with us. But, um, but so I'm going to be addressing you online as well as a small studio audience. But um, I will tell you that I feel woefully inadequate uh, today to, to communicate uh, God's word. Um, obviously, the times that we're living are unprecedented on so many different levels. <laughs> I was telling my wife, I feel like there's so many gray areas. Um, you know, like when and where do we wear a mask and when is it okay to gather and how many thousands of decisions that we're making every day where it's kind of like, you know, the government and society has created like a little bit of gray area. Well, you choose, you know, <laughs> what do you post online? What, you know, what, how much, how aggressive do you go on different things? How much do you speak out? And I feel like all of us are in this swirl of, ah, and it can also almost be a little paralyzing. And um, I can tell you today that, that, that I'm not paralyzed. God's word's not paralyzed. The church of Jesus Christ is not paralyzed. And, um, and so I, I'm going to speak out, and I, and I don't feel like um, I'm adequate to, to share this message with you, but I do feel like um, God's given me a message to share. And so I'm going to do my very best to do so. Um, we've been in a series in John, and we find ourselves in John chapter 4, and that's where we're going to stay uh, this would be one of those weekends that I could probably pivot from the series for the sake of what's going on in the world, because I do think that it's massively relevant to the church. Um, but where we find ourselves in John actually speaks directly to what's going on in the world today. And so we're going to pick up there. But before we do, um, I, I have some, some pastor acquaintances of mine, and I have a lot of pastor friends, not only in the city, but across the nation. And a few of them have voiced just sort of in passing that in light of how volatile things are and polarizing, that um, they've made this comment, I'm going to sit this one out. Meaning I'm not going to speak to it or about it because I don't want to lose people. And I know these people, and these are not pastors in our city, um, so you don't know them, probably don't know them, but um, I know their heart, and I know that it's pure, um, but I don't believe Jesus would sit this one out. Um, I don't believe that um, what's going on in the world is irrelevant um, and not on the mind of God. And so because I don't think Jesus would sit it out, I'm not going to sit it out. Um, I'm going to speak from God's word where I believe, uh, to the best of my ability, the things that God says. And um, we know what the enemy's up to. We know the enemy is up to divide, 100%, right? We know the enemy from the very beginning is trying to get people divided against God and against one another. We just know that. And you look at anything that's gone on significantly in the world, um, there is division all over it. Um, the enemy's into hate. Um, the, the enemy is, is all over those kinds of things. And I have been asking myself, <laughs> what is God up to? Because we know what the enemy's up to. I don't believe, not only do I believe that Jesus would be silent, I don't believe that uh, he is um, on the sideline currently doing nothing. In fact, I think that he's doing so much in the world right now that I believe is going to be ultimately to the good of humanity and people's relationship with God. And I think we're on a precipice of a revival, a heart revival. And I want to be right in the middle of that. I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you at home. Like, I want to be in the middle 
of what God is doing. And I don't have some special, you know, in on exactly what it is that God's doing, but I've been seeking the face of God. And I believe at a very baseline, God is in the middle of doing something on the earth to awaken people's hearts. I want to be part of that. Before I start um, into John chapter four, I want to read a scripture to you that I think is really relevant as we sort of attempt to speak to what's going on in the world. And it's out of Joshua chapter five. And it's a sort of an abstract scripture, but the Lord laid it on my heart. And I think it's really relevant. It'll be up on the screen. And it says this, are you for our are you for us or for our enemies? Now pause for a minute. This is when Joshua is getting ready to take Jericho. He's got this massive undertaking ahead of him and he is finding himself on this hill and he sees this angel with a sword and he goes to him and says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? He says, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, what you're going through is important to me. I'm here. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I think first and foremost, Jesus is in the middle of this. I don't believe that he's taking sides. I believe he's on a side and that's the kingdom side. Now the kingdom has some things to say about how we live down here and how we treat one another. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he is on the kingdom side and he's drawing us up to that side. And I just want to pause for a minute and say, this is holy ground because it has to do with God's precious possessions, people, humanity, are God's precious possessions. And I want to pause for a moment and recognize that George Floyd is God's precious possession. He matters. Black lives matter. Police lives matter. Aborted babies' lives matter. And those sayings and hashtags are so polarizing, but I just want to say that this topic and these people matter to God. And this is holy ground. And so we find ourselves in the middle of all this in John chapter 4. And so are you with me? You following? Yeah. John chapter four is Jesus. And um, it's towards the beginning of, of his ministry. A few significant things has happened up to this point in John. He's cleared the temple. And now he finds himself um, with a group of Pharisees. And we're going to pick it up in uh, John chapter one. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making a, uh, and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he had come to a town of Samaria called Issachar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. 
a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. Now they have an incredible conversation, but we're going to skip down to verse 27. And then Jesus and his disciples, after their conversation, came back and they marveled that he, Jesus, was talking with a woman, but no one said, do you want to, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Uh, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. Jesus, we pray for your word today. I thank you for what you are speaking. Father God, we need you and we bow before almighty God and we say we are submitted to your kingdom rule here on the earth and we invite your kingdom here in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our community, in the middle of our city. And we ask that you would come and you would heal and bring breakthrough. Father, we ask that you would come and bring justice, that you would bring restoration and reconciliation. And we know that you can do that. And Jesus, it's at the foot of your cross that we seek reconciliation. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is one of the most tense situations that we see Jesus in. And um, I'm going I'm to speak to the text, and then I'm going to talk to you about how I believe it's relevant to us. Uh, it's, it's, it's significant that we sang two songs that I didn't request on the love of God, because I think that the love of God has a lot to say right now. Um, But so speaking to the text, uh, first of all, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't talk. They were at odds with one another. And not just like, they didn't really like each other and from different sides of the the track. In fact, Samaritans were half Jews. They were Jewish, but they were also of a different descent. And so the Jewish parents would actually teach their kids that Samaritans were of a mixed breed and not completely human. And so the view of a Jew towards a Samaritan was, was volatile, not just because you're my enemy, but they really saw that they were a lower class citizen. And so um, Jesus steps into the middle of this. Um, and so let's sit at the well and learn. But before we get to the well, something was happening that drew, drew, that drew Jesus to Samaria to this well that I think is significant because I believe that God's asking us to pivot. And if, if there's one of the things that you hear from me today, it's the word pivot, because I believe that in so many different fashions and so many different ways, um, there's a pivot going on in the world. Now, how we pivot and where we pivot is so significant. And how we communicate what this pivot looks like is so important because it will either build bridges or burn them. But I believe that Jesus pivoted here because in verse two and three, before he gets to 
the, um, the well, it says, Soon the news reached the Jewish leaders that Jesus was drawing greater crowds, and upon hearing what they were saying, Jesus abruptly left. See, there was this, there was this cultural norm in the day amongst the Jewish people. And it had to do with power. It had to do with jealousy. It had to do with pride. It had to do with leveraging one another. Like, I'm better than you. See, like, I have more followers than you. And Jesus comes into that society, that world, and a part of these Jewish leaders. And he made a statement by saying, I'm not a part of that kingdom. I'm not a part of that way. I don't operate in that way. In fact, I'm about a different kingdom. And so he literally pivoted and left towards this well. And it's no mistake that he finds himself at his pivot, headed towards Samaria, a place that Jewish people would never go to, talking with this woman. Now, you have to understand that... um, God cares deeply about equality. And we know that um, because it's all throughout the Bible, but we see something really significant about Jesus in his very first sermon. Um, Jesus came out of the wilderness. It's in Luke chapter four. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he went to his hometown in Galilee. And I've actually been to the, the spot that they believe that the, the synagogue was in Galilee. Galilee was a small town, a small village of about 400 people. And Jesus shows up to the synagogue where a rabbi would come to teach. And you see it in, in Luke chapter 4 because it's a really famous moment where Jesus quotes Jer- uh, um, Isaiah 61. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, right? This whole thing, like he literally rolls out the scroll, scroll, reads it. And then he says that this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing, drops the mic and sits down. Essentially saying that this prophecy hundreds of years ago about the Messiah that would come is now being fulfilled in your hearing and all these people that had been waiting their entire life to see this moment where ah, jaw, like, jaw dropped like, oh my gosh, he's here. And what comes next is really interesting and it shows how they all felt about that moment. And it's in verse 22 of Luke 4. It says, all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words. Because he wasn't saying anything controversial to the day. He was simply saying, I've showed up and I'm about to bring heaven to earth. And everybody there was thinking that their value system was right on the money. The problem is what follows is that they're trying to throw him off a cliff. I've actually been to the cliff where they almost threw him off. It's about 400 yards from the synagogue and it's a really long way down. And miraculously, Jesus, it says, he just slipped through the crowd, right? And, and they're like, what? whoa, it's, it's almost like, like they tried to grab him and they grabbed thin air. I don't know if he just poof disappeared. He like used one of his like little Messiah tricks, but like just disappears. And, and the question is like, how do you get from Jesus, the Messiah, reading Isaiah 61? Like you can't read Isaiah 61 and not get all fired up. Not like, yes, this is amazing. How do you get from there? These people say that they marveled of his gracious words and the next thing they do is 
trying to throw him off of a cliff, literally. Can I tell you what happened in between those things? Jesus sits down after he reads the scroll and he begins to teach. When, when the scripture was read, they would stand and he was reading the scroll. He was reading the scripture. And then he sat and he began to teach them what his rule, what his kingdom, what his priorities were going to be. And you know what two stories he told? The two stories that he told were about Elijah that was sent to two specific people. One was a widow and one was a leper. Can I tell you what was in common with those two people? They were Samaritans. In fact, the leper was Naaman. And Naaman wasn't only a Samaritan. Again, Jewish people see these as half human, a mixed breed. Not, not, not even just we look down on you, but the kingdom of God is not for you. I mean, these are Jewish people believing that God only came for them. And Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have now come. And the two people he talks about are two people that they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even invite into their synagogue. They don't belong here. And not only that, Naaman was a commander of an army that was against Jewish people. So it not only required them to accept somebody that they wouldn't ordinarily accept, but extend grace to somebody that was after them, that was killing them. And these are the two stories that Jesus tells and says, this is what my priorities are. This is what my kingdom's about. Are we good? And they said, no, no. We're not good in verse 28. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they grabbed him. They hauled him 400 yards out to this cliff. I mean, it was probably like a hundred foot cliff. And Jesus snuck away and did his thing. But it shows you how important and how significant equality is to God. Because Jesus, when he showed up, he got baptized, he went into the wilderness, he got lit up by the Holy Spirit, he came, rolled into the synagogue before he ever went to Galilee, before he ever did any of those miracles. And he said, listen, this is my priority. I understand that the Old Testament was all about Jewish people, but it was a setup for what the real kingdom of God is, and that is the kingdom is available equally to all people. This is the priority of the kingdom. And when we saw Jesus clearing out the temple, and he says that my house will be called a house of prayer. He was referring to the, the house of David, that David set up on that same mountain where David, the only one in the Old Testament that had the ark available in a tent and said, all nations can come, even Samaritans. All nations can come and worship because this is the priority of the kingdom. And when Jesus cleared the temple, he said, no, y'all are missing it because my house, this is what my house is about for all nations. And so we see Jesus at the well and he's going to these people and the disciples are like, I don't even know why you're talking. In fact, they bail and go get something. to. It's so awkward. They can't even stay. They go and get something to eat and Jesus is there alone. And so I want to talk about three things that I believe Jesus demonstrates and I believe that are practical for us today on how to navigate the kingdom realities here on earth. That's what I'm important. That, that's what, what I am uh, 
motivated to do. This is what I think is important for us right now is how do we bring heaven here? It's not what side are you on. It's not what hashtag are you using. It's not what you're posting on Facebook. Listen, like I'm not judging any of that. I'm just saying that the priority of Jesus is us as Christians stepping into the moment, not shirking back from it and saying, how can we bring heaven's reality here on earth? And I, I, and I will be the first to admit that I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that on social media. I don't know how to do that in my, in my conversations, but I can tell you that my heart is leaning into that. How do I bring the, 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 the reality of heaven into every moment, into every conversation, into every environment? And I believe that Jesus models a way. And it's the first, the first idea is this. Love listens while, while others lecture. Love listens. Now we say love, we say we mean Jesus. But we can step into that love because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, perfect love casts out fear. And I think that so much of everything that's going on in the world is connected to fear at some level. And love casts that out. So we walk in love, then we penetrate the darkness. Love listens while others lecture. This is the first thing that Jesus did. I mean, he asked some, some probing questions and then he listened. I mean, if you look, if you read the entire chapter, like she does more of the talking than Jesus does. I mean, at what point do you sit down with Jesus and you do more talking than he would if he's there in front of you? Like, oh my gosh, but Jesus, he's listening. He's seeking to understand. I think that so quickly, and I'm going to put myself right in the middle of any accusations I'm making about us. I'm in the middle of it. I think we are so quick to come to conclusions and not quick enough to ask questions and to listen. There's so much of what's going on in the world that I'll be honest, I don't fully understand but I seek to understand. And I'm, and I'm desperately trying not to look at a post or see something that's happening on either side and come to some quick judgment about the person or about the movement. Listen, I don't know. Here's what I know. I know the priority of heaven. And I know I want to lean into that. And I know that there's things that priority of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is not for. And I think we could all agree on those. I think a lot of people would agree. Like, like our, 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 our little city of Escondido getting thrashed and windows beat in. Thank the Lord that didn't happen. Like that's not kingdom. We know that there are things that are not the kingdom of heaven and that we're not for. But I want us to focus on more listening and less lecturing. Um, I love this. Uh, pride says, I don't understand, so you're wrong. Humility says, I don't understand, so help me see differently. I think it's such a powerful stance to say, just because I don't understand doesn't mean you're wrong. I just don't understand. I have a limited perspective. But humility says, but I want to. I want to step into and sympathize with what's going on in all of the emotions of what's happening. I want to understand. 
and I want to have compassion. Emotional intelligence is being able to hold two opposite emotions in tension with each other. We learned this in counseling. Human beings aren't very good at this. And every married couple understands. The ability emotionally to hold two polar opposite emotions in tension and not take offense or be offended. To hold them in tension and go, ah, these are, this is uncomfortable. Ah, right? These emotions that can be so polarizing and yet emotional intelligence, what Jesus had, can say, ah, yes, there is a tension and I can hold that tension without having to take a side or take a stand, although I'm, I'm not saying taking a stand is bad, but to be able to step into that and be okay with it is such a powerful lesson. Love is patient and we grieve with those who grieve. So I have a question for you on this first idea. Where do you need to pivot? At home, where do you need to pivot to listen more and lecture less? Second idea is this. Love elevates the conversation. Love elevates the conversation. Um, as we were kind of diving into this story, we're looking at three different groups of people. Obviously, we know the agenda of Jesus, and then we're looking at this woman who's getting her world rocked. But then the disciples are also characters in this situation. And um, in verse 31, it says, then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some food. And I thought this was interesting because the disciples came to this conclusion right after they came and realized what was happening. And they actually got to be in on a little of the conversation. It's this amazing conversation where Jesus is literally unpacking to this woman, I am. Now, the disciples know who Jesus is, or at least they believe at this point who he is to be. So he is like unpacking to this woman what it means to truly worship. He is like, he is going for it. It's like a powerful moment. And the disciples show up, and it's so awkward that not, not only do they not want to talk about it, it's just like, hey, Jesus, let's go get some comfort food and move on. Like this conversation's so awkward that I would rather just like, let's just go get a pizza. Like, can we just move on, Jesus? This is, this is so awkward. I mean, that's not relevant. I can tell you that it's easier to just say, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out. Like the disciples wanted to. Jesus this is too awkward. I don't want to sit at the well with you. I'm going to go get some food. When I come back, I don't want to sit. I don't, I don't, now she's responding. Now she's going to go bring her friends. Like, I don't even know. What, what are you going to do with her friends? Can we just eat some food and bounce? You did your thing. You communicated the message. This is too awkward. And Jesus, obviously, wasn't having it. His response, verse 34, my food is to do the will of the Father. <laughs> like, he didn't just say, guys, quit being so sensitive. He elevated the conversation to kingdom. Listen, you're missing it, you guys. 
There is a greater plane here. There's a greater perspective here that supersedes, like, I get it, the Samaritans and the Jews, and this is awkward, and this is difficult. And Jesus just, like, went right above it. And he said, you have to understand that I'm doing the will of the Father, and I'm inviting you up to that conversation. There is a kingdom reality here that the Father is a part of, and I can tell you that the kingdom of God is not awkward. It's powerful. It cuts through all of the division and the confusion and the frustration. The kingdom of God is not awkward. The kingdom of God brings a sense of settling. And I'm sure that if I was a disciple then and Jesus spoke those words like, listen, I have food that you don't know of. I'm doing the will of my father. Come on, let's be a part of it. I would imagine that something clicked for the disciples because they're thinking about pizza and he's inviting them to the kingdom of heaven conversation. And I think that Jesus is inviting us to a conversation so we can invite others to a conversation. It's a kingdom conversation. We fight not against flesh and blood and we are ministers of reconciliation. Those are the two things that I had on my mind as it relates to this elevated conversation. Like we elevate the conversation. We realize we fight not against flesh and blood and, and that we are ministers of reconciliation. Reconciling people, reconciling back to people back to their identity, their virtue, their equality, like Jesus is in that. We're elevating people and reconciling them to God. This is our role and we have, been, we have been invited into that and qualified for that to elevate the conversation. And is that easy? No, but we're invited to do so and it is so powerful. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We want revival, not just reform. And am I against reform? No. Am I against marching? No. I'm not, I'm not against any of these things. I'm just saying in the middle of all of it, there is a greater conversation here. And it is the kingdom of God. It is a heart change. It is seeking first the kingdom. And when his kingdom comes, then his realities and his value system is evident. But it's not a, it's not a temporary change based on the leaders that are in play. It's a lasting change because it takes place in the heart. And so Jesus pivoted. He pivoted at the very beginning from, from away from the, from the ways of this world, from these Pharisees and said, no, I'm going to head towards this well. And he continues to invite us to a pivot. Let's listen first. Secondly, if we're going to speak, let's ask for the mind of the Lord and bring the kingdom here in every conversation. Every conversation, whether it's a social media conversation, a personal conversation, even a conversation with God, like let's ask God to elevate our thinking to bring the kingdom of God here and now. And the last thing is love stands in the gap. Love stands in the gap. I love this verse 41. And again, as I said, like John 4 just kind of teed, has teed this up because I believe Jesus is leading the way. John verse 40, 41 says, and he stayed there two more days. I mean, if it wasn't awkward at the beginning, I promise you after day two, the disciples couldn't even stand, stand being at the well for a conversation. 
They left to go get food. Then they come back at the tail end of the conversation and they're like, hey, Jesus, I need you to wrap this up because we're hungry. And Jesus not only elevated the conversation, he said, hey guys, we're staying a couple days. <laughs> we go and bunk with these people. We're going to stand in the middle of it. Why? Because this is the role of the church. Perfect love casts out all fear. We do not cower in fear. We stand in our authority. I'll be honest. Part of this week, I felt underwater. Like allowing fear to creep in. Fearful like I'm going to say the wrong thing. Fearful I'm going to do the wrong thing. Fearful I'm going to be misrepresented. Like, ah! And those emotions make me want to run and hide. Certainly leave Samaria. I mean, Jesus, this was not our destination. Let's bounce. You did what you're going to do. Let's go. And I just... This whole conversation started with the old bracelet. What would Jesus do, right? WWJD. As I was trying to answer that conversation for myself this week, not, not, not even like as a pastor, but just like for myself, Jesus, what would you do? I don't think he'd be running and hiding. In fact, I know he wouldn't. He'd be standing in his authority to bring the kingdom realities to earth in every way he has available. And I'm not Jesus. Far from it. But I want to lean in to the kingdom realities and I want to stand in the middle. And only God can give us the power to stand in the middle of chaos, to hold emotions and things that we're not comfortable with and opinions that people have and things that we don't understand. And it's like, ah, I just want to bail. And yet the spirit of God in us compels us and gives us the, the power to stand in the middle and contend for the kingdom of God. Who else is going to do it? If the church isn't going to do it, then who's going to contend for two sides to come together and meet at the kingdom middle? Who else is going to do it? I promise you, not a government agency, not a movement on earth is going to do that. It is the church. And I'll tell you, I don't have to join a movement. I already joined a movement. Jesus started it. And he invited you and me to join that movement. It's called the church. And it was sweeping the, across the nation 2,000 years ago. And it is still the only true change agent of the, king, of the kingdom of God here on earth is the church. So if we bail, if we hide, if we cower, then who is left to bring the true kingdom reality here and now? I want to end with this. Numbers chapter 16, verse 47 and 48. Again, another obscure passage, but I'll tell you what, I believe it's prophetic for us today. And I, before you put it up there, you already put it up there. Okay. Um, I want to set it up for a minute because in this time, it was extremely volatile. There was all kinds of, of um, unrest and the people were coming up against Moses and coming up against Aaron and they were coming to the tent of meeting and they were like basically trying to dethrone Moses. Like, ah, oh, you're going to kill us, etc., etc. And God was angry because of the sins of the people. 
and he was getting ready to come and wipe the people out because, because in those days, as well as these days, God hates that. He hates when people are trying to tear down people. And Moses, because of his compassion, because of his, his, his ability to stand in the middle and weigh two polar opposite tensions and emotions and come together and not be offended or take up offense, he said to Aaron, Aaron, I want you to take up your priestly role in the middle. And I want to remind us that we, as the church, are a kingdom of priests. This is our first role to the world as a church. And it says this, so Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense, the atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. What an incredibly powerful picture for the church today is to run to the middle, stand there and with the ability to have empathy and understanding all the while holding up the name of Jesus with the fire of the Holy Spirit in our belly and, and command a blessing on the people, standing in the gap for all that's going on and contending for the kingdom and the kingdom's priorities, and the kingdom's realities to come here on earth. This is what love means today, now, on the earth. I want to invite everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes and I want to pray and I want to invite all of us to take a moment in prayer, in prayer for our city and in prayer for our nation in prayer for those that are feeling misrepresented or don't have a voice, for those that are brokenhearted, for families that are being ripped apart, for first responders, for elected officials, as we stand in the middle and take up our authority as believers to invite the kingdom to come here on earth, to bring healing and reconciliation, to bring equality, to bring justice. This is our priestly role. And we as a church choose today to not cower. We as a church choose to listen to stand in love, to elevate the conversation to that of the kingdom reality. And to recognize that we fight not against flesh and blood. And so we say to you, devil, you are defeated. You do not have a place in this city. You do not have a place in our lives. Your, your tactics are falling flat in the name of Jesus. And we invite the kingdom reality. We invite the church to invade every space. We call for healing on our land in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray you'd start revival with us. Lord, you'd start with me. God, change my heart. Weed out a wickedness in me, God. I pray for revival would start in the hearts of your people and eyes would begin to be awake 
awakened to who you are, God. That you are the great leveler. That you came for all people. And you deposit a love in our hearts that is not possible any other way. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next week.